You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. We've got Lanyap Podcast with Greg and Doug Stokes. It is the 10th of October. A lot of news, a lot of really bad news in the last week. I'm going to read some bullet points here we can go through. And then I know there's a good story related to what's happening in the housing market. But if you're just a general observer of markets and global economy in general, then you'll probably notice some of these headlines, but I want to go through them. The first is that the UK government unexpectedly announced tax cuts. And if you notice, the British pound sold off substantially, almost to the point that it was at parity with the US dollar. A couple of weeks ago, the Nord Stream pipeline was damaged. It looked like there was a sabotage attempt successfully to cut that flow of gas off from Russia to Germany. There was an illegal vote or quote unquote illegal vote, depends on where you stand on that particular issue in Russia or at least the annexed regions of Ukraine that Russia is now claiming as sovereign territory. And then lastly, corporate America. Apple came out, Nike came out, Micron, which is a major semiconductor manufacturer, came out, and CarMax came out with all negative news related to demand for Apple products, Nike clothing, semiconductors, used cars. So a lot of bad news. And the last piece is this is a Bill McBride, who's a really good analyst in the housing market, goes through the numbers and expected numbers for September. One highlight here is KB Home, which is a major housing company, had a good quarter, but had a nine-month cancellation rate of 35%. So 35% of the homes that had under contract over the prior nine months were canceled versus 9% last year. Orders expected to decline 50% next quarter. So housing slowing down. There's a geopolitical issues everywhere you look. And it's starting to look like corporate profits are being impacted by tighter monetary policy and slowing economy. But at the same time, unemployment has ticked down. Payroll growth has sustained at a substantial rate. So the Federal Reserve is not putting the brakes on just yet. And markets are reacting negatively as a result. Yeah. So today is October 10th, Monday, October 10th. And last week was kind of a wild ride in the markets. I think this week is likewise going to be a wild ride in the markets with the data dump from the Federal Reserve and the entity that puts out inflationary numbers. That's coming on Wednesday. But you're right. It's just been a very rocky road lately. And that really started last week. Monday and Tuesday, the markets were up big, like collectively 5%. And then on Thursday and Friday, after the unemployment numbers came out and the fact that the unemployment went from 3.7% to 3.5%, the markets reacted very negatively to that positive news. So this is a situation where good news is actually bad news for the markets because the markets are hoping that data provides the Fed an excuse to pivot or get more dovish and not continue down the path of raising rates. And the jobs report that came out on Friday did the opposite, where the market basically is expecting the Fed to continue down this aggressive rate-raising path. It's going to be a situation, I think, where 
the market's really hoping for bad news from an economic standpoint that gives the Fed that sort of excuse to back off a little bit. And that's really the interesting thing about markets in that bad news can sometimes be positive from a market standpoint. And like I'd mentioned just now, that this particular week is going to be probably very volatile. And volatility can happen upwards or downwards because, like for example, the CPI data, that's the inflationary data, comes out on Wednesday this week. And that's really what the Fed is looking very closely at. It's kind of unfortunate from my perspective that the Fed looks at these sort of like the unemployment rate is probably something that is really not going to be materially affected for six to eight months from now. And likewise, the inflationary numbers are, are also something that happen. And their data is really not that fresh. The data really that I think is more relevant is what you just referenced in terms of what is happening in corporate America. And corporate America is really telling a tale that things are going to be slowing down pretty quickly and have already slowed down like Micron, one of the three big producers of RAM computer memory. And they're basically cutting their production numbers down drastically because they see a slowdown on the horizon. JP Morgan just came out today that Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, expects a recession in six to nine months. So the Fed's really looking at data that happened in the past and not necessarily what's happening right now. It's kind of like analogous to like someone that sees something happening in real time. But like, for example, if you're about to crash into a wall and your speedometer says that you're going 30 miles an hour, but you're really going 70 miles an hour, would you trust the speedometer or would you trust what you see in real life and what's happening in real time? It seems like the Fed is looking at the sort of speedometer versus like what's really going on in corporate America. What's your take on that, Doug? Just to dovetail on that, KPMG annually releases its survey of around 1,300 plus CEOs in corporate America and just generally gets a gauge of optimism, economic and market optimism. And this is interesting. This one was released last week. 86% of CEOs of the top 1,300 companies expect a recession in the next 12 months and are preparing for one. I think that's right. I think what the Federal Reserve is using is mostly lagging data to push economic and monetary policy. However, I think if you look at last week, unemployment numbers came in lower. If that continues on that trend, it's going to be very difficult to stop the inflation numbers, at least a very uncomfortable level. And so I generally think what the Federal Reserve is trying to do is push the economy into recession, which means having corporate profit margins cut substantially, corporate earnings cut down, and that would lead to higher unemployment. The strange thing there is if you're positioning yourself from a portfolio perspective, you say, well, look, I want to get out of the markets in advance of any sort of recessionary environment or tick up in unemployment. And JP Morgan released this over the last nine recessions, just the correlation between S&P 500 growth and the unemployment rate. And if you look at these charts, there are several instances in which unemployment rates are increasing at the same time the S&P 500 is growing, which is extremely counterintuitive until you just have the realization that the S&P 500 or markets in general are discounting mechanisms in which they look at the future and try to 
anticipate prices today based upon future prospects. Things right now are so unclear that any sense of clarity, if the Federal Reserve is going to slow down as unemployment ticks up, that may provide the clarity that the market needs to continue on an onward and upward trajectory. But I wouldn't get any real information out of, well, if corporate profits are declining or unemployment is increasing, that means the market's going to go down even further. There are several instances in the past in which the markets recovered before the economy did. And and so there's nothing you can really take out of that and say, I'm going to implement that in a portfolio. Right. I know a recession's coming, right? So everybody knows a recession's coming if it's not already here. But the problem is, is that everybody else already has that same data. And so all of the available information is already priced into the markets. So the question is like, how much more right now, as of today, the markets are off like 25% year to date or something like that. An interesting thing that Sam Rowe referenced, and I'm going to digress real quick, that the average forecasted return on the S&P 500 at the beginning of 2022 ranged anywhere from 4,400 to 5,300. So it implied one-year returns ranging from negative 3% to plus 17% at the time. And so obviously the S&P 500 is at like between 35 and 3,600 today. I think it was Yogi Berra that said, nobody knows nothing type of thing. And trying to forecast what's going to happen in the markets is anybody's guess. And there's so many different variables. I think it's really analogous to like forecasting weather, tropical weather. If you look at this particular hurricane season, the, the forecasters at the beginning of the year said that they expect X number of hurricanes. And lo and behold, it's been a very light season and much less than anyone was expecting, the experts were expecting. But if you look at over a broad period of time, if you estimate that this average will occur over a large period of time, you're probably going to be right. So that's a better way to look at it, I think. But just from a pure forecasting standpoint, who knows where we go from here over the short term. What I can tell you is that what has transpired thus far from an inflationary standpoint, from the probability of recession standpoint, is already priced into the markets. And what I can also tell you too, is that when you look at things, what I find that's somewhat heartening to me is that there's a lot of different factors that has brought us here to this date from the standpoint of the markets being off 25% year to date. Probably the biggest driver is the Fed. The Fed has indicated that their prospective estimates from a rate hiking cycle are going to be over in the next two or three months, most likely. So that gives me some sort of knowledge and some sort of comfort that we're through the majority of this whole cycle, hopefully. I think that we're personally closer to the bottom than we certainly were you know, three or six months ago. So I'm hopeful that we're through the majority of this. But again, nobody knows. And if you look at what the experts looked at at the beginning of the year, these are very smart individuals that had the economic departments at the biggest banks in the world, and they're very far off in terms of their expectations. But I think it's all really interesting the way it all plays out. Maybe a better way to look at this is just go back and look at prior bear markets and what happened during those periods and and try not to think about the differences in you know, topics today versus then. Every period of bear market was met with major uncertainty. That's why there was a bear market is because people were fearful. And so there's a chart by Ryan Dietrich, who's a technical analyst, and he goes through the prior bear markets has been eight of them since 1980. The average return from peak to trough, from top to bottom over the, the last bear markets was 
30.3% average decline over that period. Right now, I think the market's off 25 or 26% from its high in 2022. And then the average one-year return after the bear market was 30.2%, average two-year return 37%. And so whether or not you catch the bottom or not is almost immaterial because whether it's you get the 30.2% return or a 25% return because you went in a little early, the bottom line is that the markets have been substantially positive one year after a bear market. In 87.5% of the cases, markets were positive. And so, of course, you can say, well, they didn't have threat of nuclear war back then. They didn't have a conflict on the European continent. They didn't have massive inflation. They didn't have all of these different variables that are at play now. But of course, they had their own flavor of that sort of fear. And there was always something that didn't have a precedent before during those periods. But as Sam Rose says in his article, the markets always come back stronger. And I think that that will prove to be the case after this particular bear market period. He then goes on to post a chart, which is fantastic, by Callie Cox out of eToro which essentially says that the bull markets are built on the shoulders of bear markets. And there's this amazing skew between the positive gains of bull markets, which are massive, versus the negative gains of bear markets, which look small in comparison. And basically saying that for a long-term investor, equities are such a fantastic tool to own because your skews end up being so much higher in equities on a positive basis versus negative. You can only lose 100% of the capital that you put in. Now, nobody wants to lose that amount, but the multiples on that original capital that you can earn over long periods of time are much higher than the original investment. So you have this ability to earn three, four, five times your investment over long periods of time in stocks and other asset classes as well, whereas you can only lose you know one times your capital. And so... That positive skew over time ends up working itself out. Bull markets end up being much bigger than bear markets you know, on a positive side. And you just got to get through these types of periods in order to experience that. Yeah, because there's a couple of sayings related to the way that bull markets and bear markets function. But number one, typically bear markets take about a year to go down and another year to recover. And then secondly, and there's a lot of argument around this, obviously, but they say that bear markets are a, typically an elevator down. And bull markets are an escalator on the way back up, meaning that typically bear markets happen pretty quickly. And then it's lots of climbing that wall of worry from the standpoint of reinitiating another bull market. But that's really the first part of that is usually it takes about a year to go down and a year to go back up is really what was referenced in that data that you just mentioned. Typically, the markets a year out from the bottom of a bear market are in the green. And hopefully that's what happens in this particular scenario. There's obviously a lot of things at play right now, and some of them are scary, like the whole prospect for nuclear war. I find it interesting that the sort of saber rattling hasn't really affected the markets. It's really been more about the Fed from my perspective and what's happening with the interest rates. That's really what's driving the market action. This whole geopolitical standpoint uh, has not been really driving the markets from my perspective and what I see day to day. That can obviously change. Shifting gears, Doug, you know what's really interesting? I read an article and, and I forwarded it to you before we started this, but the interesting thing from an interest rate standpoint that's affected people that are in the market for a house and specifically people that are 
in the process of building homes and the pressures that they face from a variety of different angles, you want to detail what we were discussing previously and the sort of issues that people that are building homes specifically in the market for homes, et cetera, in today's day and age? Yeah, I think this is a talk about a stressor, but this is happening all over the place. And we read one particular story that we can post to the show notes. But imagine a situation in which it was late 2021, maybe even early 2022, in which a homeowner is looking to trade up from their current situation to a new home. Of course, the issues we were having last year were, yeah, if I sell my house, great, I make a profit on my house, but I also have to buy another house and everything is elevated in that area. So one of the ways to get around that would be, even though there was a, a high commodity prices, why don't you just buy a lot and build your own house? And those new homes would be equal or better than the existing home sales and you get to pick everything else out yourself. It's all brand new stuff, et cetera. And so... What a lot of people did was they bought either a vacant lot or bought in a planned community or bought to renovate and stayed in their existing home. And the way that the financing would work there is that you didn't really get a permanent loan until you finished the construction. So you had some sort of construction loan and then convert it to a permanent loan at the end of the construction period. All the while, you're staying in your home while that construction is going on. That you're going to need to sell to pay down the note on the new home. Yeah. So you bought this house, you think, okay, at the time, interest rates on a mortgage rates are 3% plus. And so, you know, why don't I just plan the purchase of this home and the build of this home? Maybe let's say interest rates go up to 4 or 5% and see if I can still afford it at that, you know, quote unquote, worst case scenario. And so it's, October of 2022, your home is nearing finalization. And so you're about to be able to move in. 30-year mortgage rates are now 7%. And then you've also got this existing home that you plan to sell to really finance the purchase of the new home from the equity side. And so you had a decline in the value of your existing home because people can't afford to buy the home that you're selling because they go through the same issue. They can't get a 30-year mortgage at 3 or 4%. They have to get it at 6 or 7% now. And then you have to buy the new home and get a permanent financing on that at 6 or 7%. So you have the conundrum of being able to sell a house when values are going down and you're locked into buying a house when interest rates have gone up. And that's happening a lot. I mean, imagine the stress there. And your house that you just build has to appraise right. too. Right. So maybe you don't get anywhere near the financing that you had hoped. And so you're basically underwater already on that particular home. So it's not good. And that's what we quoted KB Home estimated cancellations of up to 50% for next quarter. And that's why, I mean, people that put a deposit down on a house are just going to be walking away because they're going to have negative equity if they move forward. Right. And you've got people that have the median, we talked about this last couple of times, but the median mortgage payment is going to be like at 7% rates is like 50% of the median American's income. So it's not really tenable at 2021 prices to pay for a, a note at, at 7%. And that's really what people are dealing with. Additionally, this particular article that we're going to attach to the show notes by Ramp Capital. This is somebody who actually is going through the scenario that Doug just described, but labor rates, material rates, supply chain issues, site costs, 
mortgage rates, obviously, looming recession is on the horizon, et cetera. There's a lot of people out there suffering. It's really in this specific space right now. If indeed our prognostications are correct and we do, or we're entering a recession and or going to enter one in short order, that sort of pain is going to reverberate around the economy. But there are definitely some people that are hurting right now. And this is an article about that really makes that pain sort of tangible. But again, like the markets and the economy, they don't move in lockstep. And a lot of what's happening and may happen in short order may already be priced into the markets. And that's really the interesting thing about the sort of dynamics that exist. But I find that really interesting. And hopefully things normalize so that people in this situation are not suffering like they are presently. Yeah, I think one of two or both have to happen. Number one, real estate prices have to come down. Number two, mortgage rates have to come down, which sort of would imply that the Federal Reserve has stopped raising rates or is cutting rates. And that all implies that inflation would have to come down as well. But you can't have high mortgage rates with stable home prices. The equilibrium has to be reset. And there was just so much money chasing very little inventory during 2020 and 2021. And it was basically free money because rates were at historic lows. And that pushed those prices up. You would imagine that would come down in the next couple of years. But yeah, this is part of the game as it relates to investing and and just being a part of the global economy. You go through these trough periods and you just got to grind through it and make sure that you have enough capital and little leverage so that you can grind through it. And if you're a retiree, you plan your long-term retirement cash flow planning process around bear markets or else you'll be surprised by them. Right. Like we've always said, who knows what's going to cause the next one? We're in a bear market right now, but they happen for one reason or another. And it's best to not try to forecast the reason because there's always bad news in, in the world that you could extrapolate into some form or fashion to affect the markets. Sometimes it does affect the markets and become something negative like it has right now. But other times it's just noise. But the big thing that you can do is really just try to prepare for the fact that something is going to happen, not the actual cause of it, and plan accordingly so that you can get through these periods because they do happen. Yeah. On a lighter note, and we'll wrap up with this, but the Saints improved to two and three yesterday on the back of was one of the best performances I've ever seen by a Saint in Taysom Hill, scoring four touchdowns, three on the ground, one through the air. He also returned kicks and was in punt (laughs) coverage. I think he recovered a fumble as well as part of this whole day for the ages. But He's like a Davey O'Brien or one of those, like (laughs) Davey O'Brien, he was a Heisman winner that played for TCU, but he was like the punter of TCU and he played like quarterback. Ten different positions. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Taysom's like that, the modern utility 1920s guy. 1920s football player. Right, hopefully yeah. he can stay healthy though because he takes some big hits. Yeah. And then our beloved TCU improved to 5-0 and against Kansas and so at least it's looking like a bright football year for all the negatives surrounding markets and so we have a good distraction there. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it five stars and share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. Hope you guys join us again soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office and produced by Reverb. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. 
you can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.